Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty, as always. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we try to bring each other into our interests by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And this is the book episode. Cat distraction time. Always. No, she's our producer. It'd be cute if she had like little headphones on and she was like listening to it and be like, oh, that's awful joke. Well, she does give me her disapproving glare. In the news this week in the book community, you had a lot of backlash for a move that Simon and Schuster made, of course, because they don't know how to not. So Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, who is one of the police officers from Louisville, Louisville, which one? Not from Louisville, but from Louisville, yes. Okay. Who shot Brianna Taylor in her home has written a book called The Fight for Truth, the inside story behind the Brianna Taylor tragedy. I feel like they should change that last word to murder. Yeah. The book is being published technically by a small publishing house, an independent publisher called Post Hill Press. They focus on what they call conservative and Christian values. So murder, apparently. And their (laughs) book- That's quite the extensional jump there. Just like, and murder. Well, I mean, the guy murdered her. So yes. Yeah. Their books are usually distributed by Simon & Schuster, but due to a massive backlash, Simon & Schuster won't distribute this novel. Post Hill Press has come out and said that they will continue to stand by the decision to publish this book. I hope you like the taste of boots, apparently. I think they like the taste of the monies from all the Republicans. That's a choice. Yeah. And then 18-year-old Peyton Reidener is a seven-time national BMX champion who has recently published a book. She has written an A to Z children's book to inspire kids interested in BMX. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I used to race BMX as a kid, so that's actually like right up my alley. Yeah. She had written a first draft when she was only eight years old, and she ended up finding it somewhere when she went into quarantine. Yeah. She decided in quarantine to finish the book. And so after a successful Kickstarter campaign, she was able to get the book illustrated and printed. That's awesome. And apparently the book goes through the alphabet explaining different aspects of BMX. Her next goal is to go to the Olympics, aiming for the one spot that's up for grabs in the Tokyo Olympics this year. I don't know that I'd be interested in going to the Olympics this year. No. Like, as an athlete, I know it's one way to make money, so probably, but like, ugh. And... I normally don't try to influence anyone to go to Amazon because they don't need your money. But they're doing something kind of cool. So Amazon is offering 10 free Kindle ebooks ahead of World Book Day, which is on April 23rd. These are all books that are translated into English from other languages and from all over the world. You must have an Amazon account to download them and either a Kindle, Amazon Fire, or kindle app on a smartphone or something in order to read them but prime is not required these books are free through april 24th for download do you get to pick from like a list or is it just like these these 10 10, no matter what these 10 specific books gotcha the books include a literary fiction from japan a historical fiction from china a memoir from afghanistan a romance from brazil a contemporary from poland a historical fiction from france A memoir from the Netherlands, a literary fiction from Germany, a literary fiction from Madagascar, and a children's book from Argentina. That was all pretty interesting. Like, uh, it's a pretty big mix of genres and styles and and stuff. Everything, yeah. Well, there's only one children's book on the list, but it seems like a move that they're making because they want to seem woke or whatever, but technically you're not spending any money, so you might as well. If you're interested in any of the books that are eligible. Sounds good, at least. Like, it's it's convenient like, to an extent. If you just want something to read and you're like, ah, I don't know what I want to read. Ten books, take your pick. Right. Otherwise, what's coming up is the Shadow and Bone series. Season one comes out on Friday. I'll probably talk about it more in depth in the next episode because I will have watched it at that point. I'm taking the day off to do nothing but watch the show. And that's really about it for the week. Not too much else is going on. We did get some extra trailers, some extra shots, but like nothing amazing. 
But I did find a book tag that I think you can answer most of the questions for for this week's tag section of the episode. Interesting. It's got nine questions. Okay. And if you can't answer them, at least I can. <laughs> That's good for the listeners. So One person will be able to answer these questions. The other, maybe not. It is what they're calling the bank holiday book tag. So like what you're supposed to do on a day you're not working, I guess, is the premise. So question one is, have a lion. What is a book you could lounge in bed with all morning? Probably like a good comic book or something along those lines. I don't know that I'd read an actual book if I was in bed because if I did, I'd be like really tired and I'd fall asleep and then it'd be like, Even if you just woke up for the day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially if I just woke up for the day. (laughs) For mine, I said The Naturals series by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It's basically criminal minds in novel form for teenagers is how I describe it. That's how you'd start your day? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I go to sleep watching true crime stuff. I don't know why we're surprised. I guess that's true. It's also really easy to read, so I wouldn't have to be like fully awake to understand what's happening. Versus the book I'm currently reading, like, if I were even kind of sleepy, I would not be able to read that. It's true. And question number two, it's actually sunny outside. What's a book that makes you feel optimistic? It actually is sunny outside. (laughs) It is, and I wish it wasn't. (laughs) Lately, it's been pretty gray here in Texas, so that's not really a a normal question. Uh, So it's sunny outside. What makes you feel optimistic? What book? I think this is set for me to fail miserably. I don't think I had of, trouble with this one. Well, I don't think of books when I think of weather. It's not something where I'm like, oh, weather is happening. Maybe I should pick up a book. Like, Because as well, too, as fair-skinned my, as I am, if I was out in the sun reading a book... This isn't telling you to go out in the sun. It's saying what makes you feel optimistic. I don't know. I don't know. For me, I said Tweet Cute by... Emma Lord. And it's hard because I... What is it making you optimistic about? The other part of the question is what I have trouble with. It's what makes you feel optimistic. I'm like, books don't tend to make me feel optimistic. Like, because to tell a story, you have to go through something. And so, like, you have to deal with hard times and struggles and have problems. And that doesn't feel optimistic to me. I was going to say, I'm like, it's a really good story. It's not really a thing that occurs. But in Tweet Cute, the way it works out, like, even when she's struggling with her own issues, she still, like, has fun and bakes food. And, like, it made me in a very baking mood while I was reading it. I was like, food makes me optimistic, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's interesting. That was the best I could do with that question. That question was a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Spend some time outdoors. What's a book that reminds you of nature? I guess like any of the Harry Potter scene books, because like when they're out of the castle, I feel like it's very naturey. Yeah. Like and this the scenes are just really beautiful. So for me, I said the Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Otter, and like if you've read it, you know. But if you haven't, haven't read it, you then don't. you don't know. So I don't know. I'm just yeah. gonna look at you confused, like, huh? That's usually how you look at me. That's not true. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> Question number four, make some punch. What's a book that you find difficult to classify into one genre? I don't know. I feel like most of the books I've read have pretty much been one genre books. So like... I think for the most part they have, yeah. So I don't know that I really have an answer for this one. N.A.? For mine, I said The One by John Mars. It's a mystery, but it's also sci-fi. But like you have literary fiction problems that are typical for that genre as well. So it's like it could be any of these. Yeah. But, like, it definitely has sci-fi elements, and it also definitely has a mystery and, like, murder and stuff happening. So, I don't know. That one is hard for me to pin down. Question five is, pass some food around. What's a book you want to share with everyone? What's a book you think everyone should read? I would have to say Vicious, because I felt like it was something that, like, I would genuinely recommend to anyone. Whereas, like, Harry Potter, I feel like, is kind of, like... It could be recommended to people, but it's not going to be, like, the first thing that comes to my mind. Right. Like, out of the books that I have read recently, I think Vicious is definitely one where I'm like, yeah, you could read this. Well, it's very action-y, but also, like, for people like me who like morally great characters or, like, you connect with the characters really well as well. And I know it's supposed to be a YA book, but I don't feel like it really connects with just one generation, you know? It's not YA. Then there you go. It's an adult. So, but, like, I mean, as a whole, like, kids could read that and understand what's going on. 
I would say like teenage. No younger than thirteen. Yeah. Should be reading vicious. Yes. And that's like the stretching the it. I said a few things actually. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. The first one is the Clue Mystery series by Diana Peterfront. It's quick, easy to read, and good for anyone who particularly likes Clue. Makes sense. And then I said the Moose Springs, Alaska series by Sarah Morgenthaler because it's a very cute romance that's easy to read and I don't feel like it's got a lot of the stuff that is typical in the romance genre that I really don't like seeing, which is like you have the alpha male problems and then you have the overly sexualized books problem and that isn't present in that series. And then the last one I said is The Others series by Anne Bishop, which is an urban fantasy, and it's got romance elements in there as well, and I think it's really good. I said, but I just think these are undervalued in the book community. Like, people don't really talk about these. Yeah. Number six, Light the Barbecue. What's a book that took a while to get going? I feel like this last book that I that we're going to talk about today took a little bit of a while to get going. Like, you, you got the story started right away, but then there was a lot of just, like... All the big stuff's on the back end, it, for sure. Like, the stuff is front-loaded and back-ended loaded for the story, and then in between it's kind of like, all the things are kind of happening. It's where you have to get from point A to point B and trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. For me, it was A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallaro. Let me explain a little bit. It's... A low YA, maybe high middle grade novel that takes the Sherlock Holmes and John Watson characters and basically puts them in a boarding school and like introduces them to each other through this mystery that they have to solve together. And it's been so long like studying those characters that the mystery really is on the back burner for me. Gotcha. And that's why I didn't love it or continue the series. Question number seven is failed barbecue. What's a book that ultimately disappointed you? From barbecue to failed barbecue. I don't know that I really had one that's like truly, truly disappointed me. I feel like a couple of the Harry Potter books, I was like, meh. I feel like book two of Harry Potter wasn't great for you. Yeah, it was the one I rated the lowest, so that would make sense. Yeah. For me, I said Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. It was so hyped on the book community and I bought into it and it just wasn't what I was looking for and I think you know you tell someone it's going to be assassin nun school basically and like that is my hype word any one of those are my hype words and so it just assassin nun or school you're like whoa those combinations done what are we doing yes and it just seemed much slower and less about the assassin and less about the nun, and less about the school than it really should have been. Gotcha. So, that one for me. Question eight is, it's raining. What's a book to curl up with when it's raining outside? I can see myself reading an absolutely remarkable thing. I feel like that would be a good book to read in the rain. Or, like, even... Not in the rain. Well, yes. While it's raining. We wouldn't bring books out into the rain. That would be a mistake. Yes. For me, I really took the question to be, like... Something that has a great setting and atmosphere and, like, it, you can just, like, feel yourself in. Yeah. And so, for me, I put Passenger by Alexandra Bracken. It is a, I want to say, like, YA fantasy slash possibly sci-fi, depending on how the time travel is technically explained. It's been several years since I've read this, so I can't remember which category it falls in. They made a movie, didn't they? No, that's a different thing. Okay. Something similar to the storyline, just not, not quite all. the same. No? Not at all. Okay. Well, no. Then. Two completely separate things. Fantastic. But this one is basically this girl discovers that she and her parents can time travel, and they're one of the families who are supposed to keep like the timeline straight and everything. And it's really atmospheric. She travels through multiple timelines, so you get to go from world to world. And I think the reason it really works is that She spends so long, like, doing the world building and getting you there and, like, putting you in the situation that it's very believable. So that was my answer. And the last question is, let's just eat the chocolate. What's a book that's super sweet? Have you read a super sweet book? I don't think I have ever read a super sweet book by any means. But I should make you read a Nicholas Sparks book. I would rather not. Never do it. I will. That's great that you can read it all you like. (laughs) 
Well, for me, I put a couple answers here again. The first, none of them are Nicholas Sparks, by the way. The first one is the Selection series by Kira Cass. I I don't know. I kind of like the series, but I also don't like that I like the series because it's kind of trash. But it is a three book series that is, I want to say, like a dystopian novel. It's America in the future. And basically, it's The Bachelor, but like with a prince. That sounds like something you would normally hate. Right. But it's actually pretty decently written. And like, there are some lines from this series that like if someone had said that to me in person I would have had a heart attack like it's just so swoon worthy some of the lines this guy has as a guy I just don't understand it the way you would I guess that's fine yeah and then I said or starry eyes by Jen Bennett that one was really cute and p.s. I like you by Casey West which is probably one of my favorite Casey West books those are my picks for super sweet books But that is the book tag for the week. I feel like you didn't do too bad. I feel like I did awful, but that might just be me. I think you just need to read more books. That's probably the problem. But next week we'll talk about what the releases are going to be for May, because it's the last Thursday in April. Because it's going to be May? Yes, Justin Timberlake. But as for what I've been reading this past week, I actually had a really good reading week. I didn't rate anything below four stars, so pretty good that's pretty good i feel like that's like the second week in a row you've had like really good reading numbers well except for last week i also had a two something yeah but otherwise that it threw was it off a bit. yeah otherwise it was pretty good the first book i read was rule of wolves by lee bardugo this is a new release from march 30th it is book number two in the nikolai duology so technically the final book maybe there's sort of a question at the end of book two it's the second book in the third series from the Grishaverse, an adult fantasy novel. I rated it 4.5 stars, which is really good. It's not quite a like all-time favorite, but it's up there because I feel like Lee Bardugo and I have a very similar sense of humor, and I like all the wit and banter that goes between all the characters. So I have a hard time reading this and not at least enjoying that, I think. But it's the conclusion to the series. We see our three main perspectives as the king, the soldier, and the spy all deal with fallout from book number one. I think I enjoyed this one more than I enjoyed King of Scars. I think if I re-rated King of Scars, it'd be like a 4 or 4.25, and this one would be a 4.5. Is that the first book in the duology? or? Yeah, that's the first one in the duology. Okay. Yeah, remember, you're talking to somebody who does not understand things. I could point to the books over there if that helps. Not really, because I'm, like, right next to the books. Yeah. But I think in this one, we got to see other characters besides the ones in Shadow and Bone. And we got to see some of the Six of Crows characters, which I really enjoyed and wish we had more time with, if I'm being honest. Like, I didn't realize how much I missed the Six of Crows characters until we saw them. I was like, oh, yay. Because if you look at my progress on Goodreads and you can see as I'm, like, updating, there's one point where I'm like, Kaz? Kaz? And that was, like, chapters before he ever showed up, but it was, like, hinted that they might go and see him. And then when it finally happened, I was like, Kaz! It's Kaz! On my actual Goodreads. Like, I feel bad with my Goodreads because I don't update, like, whenever I finish sections of things and I don't, like, talk about what I liked about it. And I feel like you do that every single time. I absolutely do not. No? This is the only time I've done that this year so Okay. Far. I'm like, uh, I know that's the purpose. Like, you're supposed to do it, but... I mean, really, I just do it to put in my page count, usually. Yeah, me too. But... Like I said, it did leave an open ending for a next book, but a lot of people are thinking there's actually going to be another book in the Six of Crows series and not another one in the King of Scars because what is open-ended about the last book here would lend more towards Kaz Brecker and his crew than does the crew in King of Scars, and that's the least spoilery way I can say that. Makes sense. And then I read a NetGalliot arc that I didn't think I was going to get, and it is Sun Kissed by Casey West. This is a standalone YA contemporary slash romance. I ended up rating it four stars, 
And basically in this one, a girl is traveling with her family to a family-based summer camp resort kind of place. But the only downside for her and her social media obsessed sister is that there's no Wi-Fi and there's no cell reception because they're up on a mountain in the woods in California. Just to clarify, there is Wi-Fi in a lot of places in the mountains in California. (laughs) In this location, they don't have the Wi-Fi. And she determines that she's in for the worst summer ever until she meets someone who works at the camp who's her age. And suddenly she's very interested in this guy who is very off limits. And then she fell in love. And actually it was really cute and I really enjoyed it. And I liked all the summer camp vibes in the woods and all the stuff that they do there. But also there was some family issues that they had to deal with. A lot of things that aren't meant to be said in certain ways, but are and hurt each other's feelings. And then everyone's repressing their feelings and emotions, you know, like normal humans in reality. Like normal families. Right. It's very realistic. But then you get the unrealistic side of it, which is like the romance and like how they came together. There's also like one of the things her dad says spurs her on to try out things that she normally doesn't do. And it leads to like a band competition for like finding the next big thing and all that stuff. And that just kind of went a different direction than I thought it would, which is part of the reason I didn't give it five stars because that just seems a little out there. Right. But I mean, she does it in a realistic way, just like looking at the picture as a whole, it's unrealistic. Got it. But it was cute. I still, I gave it four stars, which is a lot for me for a romance. Like normally those have a hard time getting to a four. Like a four is what a normal five star is when it comes to romance for me. Yeah. So it checked all the boxes you wanted. It's just not good enough to be a five because it's a romance. Well, some of it's just a little too unrealistic and some of it wraps up in too neat of a way. That's just not the way reality works. Right. But if you're using this as escapist fiction, then you're... You're good. You're totally fine. Yeah. You're not going to have a problem. Not a problem at all. And the last thing I read for the week was Wind Witch by Susan Dennard. This is a backlist from 2017 and book number two in the Witchland series. I'm rereading this before the next book in the series comes out this summer. It's an adult fantasy series that I rated this book four stars. It's hard to explain what a second book in a series is about because you don't want to give away what happens in the first book. But Merrick and Safi have to deal with the fallout from the first book while Isolt and Adewan make an unlikely alliance is how I describe the book. Okay. And there was a lot of stuff that I had forgotten about, so it's really good that I decided to reread this before the next one comes out, because I marathoned this whole series while I had COVID in bed last year. I remember this. And so, like, my fever brain apparently did not absorb, like, 80% of the middle book, so... Like, I don't remember this, but this is really great! And, like, some of it I remember, but, like, I didn't remember how they got to that point and stuff like that. So it's good that I decided to reread it. It is good. Opened your eyes to things that your COVID brain could not think of to save its life. Listen, I was pretty sick. I, you're lucky I read anything. Yeah, I know. You're locked up in the master bedroom. At least I wasn't stuck on the couch or something. I was. You're right. But as for what I plan on reading next... This week kind of makes me anxious because I'm reading two bigger books. Yeah. They're both about 450 pages each, slightly more. And so that's why I'm only reading two things. I'm actually keeping true to my word and only reading two things this week. We will see about that next week because I have a feeling you're going to be like, well, I can fit this novella in. I definitely will not. I won't have the time, I promise. So the first book I'll be reading is The Octonomy, Fosbit Files Prologue by Trevor Allen Forrest. This is technically a new release, I think, from last year. It is book number one in The Octonomy. It's an adult fantasy series. And I'm just going to read the summary off of Goodreads because I don't know how to explain this. Technically, I started it today and I still don't know how to explain it well enough. To explain it. So the Goodreads says... The octonomy does not exist. Fosbit and any files relating to Fosbit do not exist. The Terralin peoples that protect and provide sanctuary for the Evitans of Featherist are not real. The ability of the Tarlin peoples with their heightened skills living in their utopian world are a myth. 
their purpose here merely tales. Rumors of their reincarnations enabling them to live many lives, ridiculous. And there is definitely no magic. None at all. No, really, there isn't. Magic is not a thing. There are also no hidden worlds or mythical beings coexisting just out of sight. Equally, there are no secret access points to these hidden worlds that don't exist. And there is no unfinished business from the past that is set to destroy, well, anything. There is no disaster looming. Anyway, regardless of any potential threat that may or may not be present, this publication, The Octonomy, and any reference to any other beings is a work of fiction. And, for the record, Scariodents, should they exist, are perfectly lovely beings whose purpose in life is grossly misunderstood. So this seems like a bit of absurdist fiction, and it's exactly down my alley. I'm about 100 pages in out of about 450, so I'm almost a quarter of the way in, and I could not explain it any better than that. Like, I don't have a good enough grasp on this world to explain it. Let's be honest, that's a confusing explanation to it as well. Right. And so... Like, every time you explain it to me, I usually lose you about halfway through, and I'm like, all right, well, this is a thing that's happening. So basically, this is supposed to be an in-world, fictionalized book about places and people that aren't supposed to exist. But from reading the book, it seems like they do exist, and that this is just the government trying to keep everything suppressed. Yeah. On top of that, you have the narrator of the story actually talking to the characters, and the characters talking back to the narrator, which is unusual for the most part. Like, normal books don't have this unless you are moving towards the genre of absurdist fiction, which, like, Terry Pratchett is absurdist, this is absurdist, and for the most part, I enjoy absurdist fiction, so I don't think I'm going to have a problem with it. Right now, about 100 pages in, I'm having trouble with all the pronunciations, all the definitions, and really getting settled in the world. The world building isn't, like... 100% there. It's not perfect. Right. Yeah. But it's still really good. I like the sense of humor. So we'll see. I still have about 350 pages left to read. And then I will be reading A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. This is a backlist from 2020 or new release from 2020, depending on what you define as new release. It is book number two in the Carl's series, and I'm rereading it for the podcast because you'll start that next week. Yep. It's an adult sci-fi. And to keep it short and sweet so I don't give anything away for you, the book continues where the last one left off with April May and her friends. And I remember reading this last summer and feeling like this book was almost like prophetic about 2020. It was kind of eerie. Well, you already gave me a spoiler because supposedly one of the characters is supposed to be dead and you're like, and it continues where her and her friends are. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, to, to get there, we have to discuss you finishing the first book. Yeah. Because you did that this week. I did do a thing this week. I didn't think you were going to do it. You had a lot left to go before the end of the week. The good news is, as you stated, the end moves very quickly. So it made it, the read very easy. Yep. So I was able to just power through some pages but yeah i had a messy week it always is when i come back from vacation from work so it took a lot out of me and it took me a long time to get through the reading so i'm sorry i guess i mean you don't really have to apologize because you finished it it's true it's true but i enjoyed it and i think that was the key thing i if i remember correctly last week i was like it's good so far but it's starting to slow down i'm getting bored and like that was kind of my summary of the middle of the book right and so I'm happy that things started to pick up a little bit. I A ton of stuff happened after the middle point. Oh, yeah. Way too much stuff, sadly. You think so? I, I felt like, I, I understand its purpose, like it needed to happen. I feel like the world just kind of self-destructed around April, May a little bit. Like I mean, something you have to understand about, like, being someone who's a professional arguer, like, your life kind of does kind of ebb and flow like that, like crash and burn and then go back. So I feel like that made sense for April May in her life at that point. But I liked how the next chapter that you started after recording last week was that huge chapter, the 60-page chapter. But 
It was dense. It was, it was sort of broken up by, like, here's my social media for this particular day, and here's what happened. And that's the way I had to read it the first couple of days, just because that's what All I had time, time had. I had. Mm-hmm. I was lucky if I got to read for 30 minutes a day during the beginning of the week, and it's just my life. Yeah. But because it broke it up that way, it made it easy for me to do that. Thank right. goodness. And it does a couple things here when it does that, which is sort of give you a trajectory of how her life got from point A to point B. Yeah. From where the chapter before ended and the next chapter started because it had these things to pull from. But at the same time, like looking back objectively, you can see a trajectory for your life. But it also gave you several moments of, like, levity from the things she was saying or doing on the social media. Yeah, I can kind of agree with that sentiment and that. And it flowed still. So, like, it wasn't like it was just mind-boggling, stretched-out chapter. Or like it, Super choppy. Right. And so I, I wasn't upset with it. It just it was a lot to start the week. Yeah. And I think that demoralized me even more than my week schedule at first. And then things started to come together towards the end of that chapter, so... Yeah, and it got really dark for April May in this chapter because she was struggling with her relationships in her real life Yeah, as she was cultivating her April May persona and arguing and all this stuff she was doing. But then it also, in my opinion leads to this sort of faster-paced telling of the story. Yeah, because she realizes she needs to start focusing on things. So instead of it just being like, I'm here for the ride. Well, and like she was trying to do everything and be everything to all people, and that's really just not possible. It literally will cause you to implode, just like the storyline kind of did for an extent. Yeah. I believe that chapter ends with her being saved from a shooting by Carl's right hand. But you don't know it in that chapter. Yeah, it's just she's saved yeah. from getting shot. She called Robin and was like, I got shot at. Well, and then he tries to get the super or the security. She tries to get the security team to go away because Robin has called them. Yeah. And she's like, I'm fine. Nothing happened. No one believes you, April, May. And the security guard's like, I'm not going away unless you get Robin to call me back. Yeah, that was interesting. And I think that was the moment that April realized that, like, people are having, like, real emotions about who she is as a person, and they very much hate her and want her dead. To the point of trying to kill her, they're having emotions. Like, those are some pretty intense emotions to have about somebody. Yeah. To say the least. But what does she do at that point? She sees that, you know, people are gathering over and around the Carls, and she's like, well, I need to go down there. Well, because the reason they're gathering at the Carls is in Memorial because a bunch of, well, I say a bunch, like four bombings happened around the world Yeah, and killed a lot of people, and this was like Peter Petrowicki's fan base saying that, like, we don't feel safe, we feel scared, and this is our... A weird reaction to being yeah, scared. attack the robots. Or at least attack the people who are in support of the Carls. And so that's why everyone's gathering around the New York Carl. And she decides that she's going to make this video about how everything's fine. Like, we're all human and we can deal with this. And this is just like the small percentage of humans who did this. And we need to come together for the greater good. Yes. Yes. Andy is trying to talk her out of it the whole time. Like, this is just a bad idea. He's trying to talk her out of it. The doorman is trying to talk her out of it. Like Robin's trying to talk her out of it, I believe. Yeah. Pretty much everybody's like, this is stupid. Don't do it. Right. But she goes out with Andy, and he's recording her talking about all the things. And someone decides to try to attack her with a knife. Doesn't just try. Successfully does. Well, true. He doesn't kill her, though. No. But he gets turned into literal grape jelly. Yeah, I thought that was weird. I thought at first they were just defining it as like that was the kind of the consistency. consistency. Yeah. No, he's literal grape jelly. And then it clicked for me when she was licking her lips in the ambulance and was like, did I put grape lip balm on or something like that? And I'm like, no. That's a human in your mouth. Literal grape jelly human innards. Yes. Yum. When you find that out, that was like super gross. You're just like, oh, grape jelly. Yeah. And then that sort of raises the question of, like, Carl saved April May, 
but Carl didn't save any of the people who were killed in the bombings that had happened the night previous. And so it's the question of, like, why didn't he? Well, it wasn't a tough question realistically. Like, if you look at it when where you're at in the book, you already know that she's the only one having the 767 dream or whatever. So, right. like... The airplane dream. Yeah, so it's one of those situations where you realize that dream is important. Right. Well, and you realize that she's important to the Carls, but you don't know why or how or any of that fun stuff. Right. Which I don't think by the end of the book you truly really know why either. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's one of the mysteries still left behind. The guy ended up catching her in her shoulder blade with a knife. Yeah, it was upper shoulder blade area because, like, she fractured, like, two or three ribs or something like that as well. Fun times with that. Yeah. And she gets put in an ambulance and she basically films one little clip with Andy and has him go off with it because... Go off with his camera, but she keeps the I was going to say, he slips her the memory card because he knows right. the police are going to play 20 questions with him and right. request the memory card. And has him go off to deal with the cops who don't believe that he just forgot to put a memory card in, being a professional YouTuber at this point. Right. He's like, I know better than this. And while he's dealing with that, she is in the ambulance talking with and joking with and flirting with the woman who's helping her. I think she's just partially delusional. I don't think it's, like, her attempt at, like, actually flirting with her, but right. it just... That's just her default state is to flirt with guys or girls or when, everybody. Yeah, when she's completely falling apart at every scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she uses humor to sort of deflect from her actual emotions. Right. That makes sense. And you also get this sense of, like, even the person helping her with her medical issues can't help but realize she's dealing with April May. Yeah. And, like, you still have that sort of celebrity yeah. going on. I just love that when she gets in, she immediately is like, you need to text this person and this person. Like, it was, like, Robin, my mom and dad, and mm -hmm. Maya. So it's like, everybody needs to know that I'm not actually dead. Everything's going to be okay. Right. And then when she's there in the hospital, at a certain point, the president decides to show up, which is super strange. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was also after she had passed the card on to Robin who passed it on to Andy. V via the front desk person, basically. Yeah. yeah. And we get a little bit of time with her in the hospital with her family, and it's good to see her being human with her parents. And then, of course, like you said, in walks the president of the United States. Right. She's like, I want your footage. And April's like, what footage? I don't have footage. What are you talking about? I don't know what footage you'd be speaking of at all. Like... But eventually they come to a deal where she can have the footage, but they get to release their video the next day. Yeah. Because the president still has to do president stuff. That's crazy to think of considering who we just had as president. Look, that was a four-year delusion. That was not reality. But back to the book. So they end up calling Robin. He brings down some copy of the footage for the president, and the president leaves and says she's going to come for an actual formal visit the next day. Which ends up being, like, the weirdest formal visit in the entire world. It's, like, two seconds long. Yeah, because, like, she legitimately has her mom or dad there. Robin is there. Andy is there. He's filming it, which is the funniest part. Like, so... Well, wouldn't you if you had a YouTube channel and you were going to meet the, the president? The president? <laughs> Absolutely. Obviously. Even if it's for, like, a hello and a goodbye, like, you're okay? Okay, cool. Bye. Yeah. But... Also, while all of that, like, logistical stuff is going on, April is trying to think of how she needs to play everything that happened. Yeah, she's and super she's still, overthinking it. She's still thinking about the character of April May. Yeah. Which is real messed up when you've just been stabbed. Yeah, you should be thinking about your personal health at that point, and that is it. Right. But it also becomes a moment where the people who are fans of Peter Petrowicki are like, see... The corals are dangerous. They can turn us into grape jelly. Yeah, only if you attack April May. Because <laughs> otherwise they're impenetrable and they don't care. And is it right after she leaves the hospital or soon after? They come out and say that Peter Petrowicki's group has... The Defenders. ...has come out with the answer for the puzzles. It's a little bit after because I feel like she still had time to be going through the dream and failing and failing and failing and failing and failing. Right, because... 
she sort of has a realization after leaving the hospital that she needs to like figure this out and stop avoiding it and get help at that. Right. So she has the psalm trying to help her with it, and like somebody recognizes it as as an accordion pattern or something like that. And I'm yeah. like, what are the freaking odds that somebody would be like, yeah, that those hexagons accordion? Well, someone knows how to play the accordion, so yeah. And then I think that's the one that ends up being Carly Rae Jepsen's song. Friday. No. No? Call Me Maybe. Call Me Maybe. You're right. That's Rebecca Black. Yep, that's another awful song by a teenager on YouTube. Call Me Maybe actually stands up way better than Friday did. Oh, neither of them really did. Just be honest. I remember the day after I read that scene, I was playing that song. And you're like, why, were you, why are you playing that? That's not your type of music. I was like, I don't know. It just popped into my head. No, it did not. It came from this book, as it turns out. <laughs> and they come out and say that they figured out the answer. And she, like, Goes loses ballistic. her marbles. Yeah. Absolutely loses it. Calls Maya, right, I believe, not, not Miranda, and starts just going, like, I can't figure this out. Like, I need your help. Well, and Maya's discussing, well, if they figured it out, it's not because they have access to the puzzle. It's because they have access to the one thing they're most obsessed with, which is your presence online. Everything. They're obsessed with you. So what is it about you that leads to the answer to the question? And it turns out it is the code that was on her headrest of the... First, first class first flight flight she had to L.A., I believe, from New York to the late night show she was on. Was it to L.A. or the flight back when she was about to have the first dream? Might have been that. I think it was that. And so they go to put in that code and bad things happen. Pulls up an address. And I believe the message was April only. Which should have been, like... Warning. Yeah, because, like... Warning. None of the other times has Carl cared about whether there were other people with her or not, let alone cameras, like... Well, on top of that, the whole point of these puzzles was about bringing people together to collectively work on them and come together as humans Like, I didn't immediately think of that, but, like, after I finished that chapter, I was like, come on, stupid, you should have known better. But April is so obsessed with being the first one on the spot, fixing it, solving it, getting there first, bringing it to the masses, that she can't consider the fact that what just happened may not be real. And so despite promising her parents and the president that she would do better in the future and involve other people before making these huge decisions, she goes off to New Jersey by herself. Yeah, big mistake. It's always a mistake to go to New Jersey. Period. And when she gets there, it's this, like, dilapidated warehouse with a fence around it. Yeah. Okay, the first sign was Carl wanting to talk to you by himself and just the two of you. The second one is, why would he take you to this warehouse in the middle of nowhere? Right. And when she gets there, she sees a pile of clothes and what looks like grape jelly. It was grape jelly, yeah. Of the warehouse. So she thinks someone got here first. One of the defenders who solved the whole thing got here first. And so he got evaporated or jellyfied. Crazy about it, this whole thing is that, like, the whole time she's Facebook living, basically, like, everybody can see her streaming live where she's at. Yeah, she starts the live when she gets there. Yeah. So it's like, I just, uh, I don't know. It's that thing for April, May where, like, she has to be the first one on the spot, gotta. Get Gotta have to the proof, out. too. Yeah. yeah. Photos or it didn't happen. Or live or it didn't happen. And so she goes in and she ends up going upstairs, I believe, because music was playing. Yeah. And then... It was another Queen song, if I remember correctly, right? Or was it no. Call Me Maybe again? No, it was a different song. Apparently, it's Golden Years. It's a David Bowie. Oh, that's right. It was David Bowie. Yes. At this point, everyone is texting her on her regular phone, like, April, what are you doing? Get out of here. There's a trap. It's not real. They didn't really solve it. That's when the door slams shut and a fire starts. Yeah. And she is so screwed. I don't think she realizes it's a fire at first, because, like, it's just... No, she just realizes she's trapped. Yeah. And at a certain point, like, Robin figures out where she is. 
and calls the police. The police get there. And well, I mean, but this is after it's discovered that there's a fire. Because at first she's just freaking out and trying to break the door and talking to the live while texting with Maya and Miranda and everyone else. Yeah. The people in the live are listening to the lyrics of the song as this is happening. And it turns out the lyrics changed on the song. And it also changed on other locations where the song is. Because basically Carl is trying to say he wants gold. Like they need to press gold onto him in every location, all 64 locations. That is when the smoke appears and she starts freaking out. Robin comes with the police and the fire department. And she's trying to tell the people on the live, you all need to give Carl gold, all of you right now, all at once. Yeah. And that sort of thing. The policemen and the fire department are telling her how she needs to try to get out of it by breaking a window or something, then she finally does it when the smoke gets bad enough. Yeah. Probably hurt herself pretty bad. Her her. whole left side, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And she's trying to find her way to the door to get out. It doesn't seem like she makes it. Right. There's a beam that breaks off and smashes into her skull. Yeah. At that point, she arrives in the dream... As she's suffering from all this pain, passing out, probably. Talking to the one of the Carls. Yes. Carl is in the dream. Or is Carl the creator of the dream? You'll never know. I mean, you assume that Carl created the dream. Obviously. But Carl is like, your body is very damaged. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. I already knew that. It's one of those thank you, Captain Obvious moments. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, she gets to ask him three questions, and she's like, why three questions? He's like... Because that's the tradition in your stories. You get three questions. Right. So she's like, okay. She asked him why he came to Earth, and he said, to observe. He said that they had to see how the humans would react to them, and there was no way to know without some form of contact, and that this is the beginning of a process. Yeah. And, like, what process you don't really find out the answer to in this one. She asked, well, what do you think of humanity? And Carl says, beautiful. Despite, you know... All the crap going down? All the stuff that happened. Recently, more so than anything. And she asks, did you specifically choose me for this, to be the one to find you? And that's when she remembers that she was in the 23rd Street subway station when her Metro card is declined, despite the fact that she was sure she had money on that card, which caused her to go back the way she came. And then at that point... She's crossing the street again with a green arrow for her to cross, but also a taxi is blaring at her like she shouldn't be in the intersection. Turns out he had the green light. Yeah. And so all these things are adding up that she was chosen, she was picked, Carl got her where he needed her to be. Yeah, he literally was just kind of guiding her right into him. And she asked, well, why did you choose me? Carl said, your story just started April, May, which ominous, especially since her body is badly damaged. Right. To say the least, that's like a very weird thing. Like you're, you're led to believe that she dies more or less. Cause like when your brain and your head gets smashed, pretty much game over. Well, she says very early on in the book that she does die. Yeah. But she also tells you that she is telling you her story. So clearly she can't be permanently dead. Yeah. So it's a question of, does she die? If she dies, does she come back? How does all of this work? Does she come back as a Carl? I don't know how you become a Carl. Me neither. And then the last chapter is written in Andy's point of view. And I'll be honest, up until like this point, I was like, this is pretty good. I don't know if I'd read another one because I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like, I really enjoyed it and I really liked it, but I don't know that I needed another book to, like, finish out what has happened so far. I immediately thought, where's the next book? Well, after this chapter, but before the Andy chapter, I was just like, you could wrap it up here. But then Andy's chapter happened. You could, but there'd be a lot of upset people if you wrapped it up without, like, A, Andy's chapter, B, a second book, I feel like. Right. But he's basically explaining what happened... From the moment the live disconnected with April and what he did and sort of how everyone was living after April had died, but no one found her body and like all this other stuff. 
he's going around giving talks because that's really the only way he can deal with everything. And like people want him to speak. Yeah. He's sitting at his desk, writing some emails, doing his job, whatever. And there's a knock on his door. Which he says is pretty weird because no one can get into the building without being buzzed in. Yeah. So maybe it's a neighbor or something. But then his phone also goes off. His phone shows a message from April, May. And it says, slide to reply. And it says, knock, knock. And that's the end of the book. I'm interested to see what happens in the next book. Like, I I enjoyed it again. Like, I, I like sci-fi stuff. So, like, I knew I was going to enjoy this book. Right. Uh, I also like the green family level of comedy. I feel like it's just right up my alley. So like the combination of the two is something I knew I would enjoy. Yeah. So when her password is donkey farts. Yeah. That pretty much had me. You had me a donkey farts. <laughs> oh boy. The weird titles that are going to come from these, this week's episodes, but like, seriously, like you had me at donkey farts. Yeah. Well, he's pretty funny. I like his sense of humor and like, this is a very multi-layered story if you choose to read it that way instead of just the one layer of this is what happens. Yeah. So there's a lot to enjoy, even if your sense of humor doesn't include donkey farts. If you don't have a child's sense of humor. Exactly. I think that you'll enjoy the next one, which you're starting this week. Probably today at some point, hopefully. I just, I think I might like book two more than book one. And I can't tell you why that is because I know why it is and I can't tell you because you haven't read it. Got it. That was the least mysterious response I think you could have given. I could be more mysterious, I suppose. (laughs) But I will warn you ahead of time that the formatting is different. Okay. As in you have chapters from different people, different perspectives. That's fine. You know I'm not bothered by that. It wouldn't be the first time I've, you know, read a book like that, so. Yeah. But it's also chunkier. It's like a good 120 pages longer. So am I splitting it three weeks or two weeks still? Two weeks. Okay. Because you could read 250, or 225 pages yeah. per week. It's not a problem. As long as I read some today and tomorrow, we should be good. But I am looking forward to the next book, because, like, as I stated, the second to last chapter, I was ready for the next book. Yeah. So... I didn't even need Annie's chapter to be like, more things. Yeah. We just also need to discuss what you're going to read after this, because the thing that I'm planning on having you read means I also need to order a book, because it's part of a series I didn't finish. Gotcha. So I would have to finish that series, so I would need the rest of the books. And that's fine. We'll just have to wait and see. But in the meantime, make sure you're staying in contact with us on all the social media, which should be linked in the show notes. Via our lovely Linktree link. Uh, We will catch you next week for a sports episode on Tuesday. We'll catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.